We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives, but the stories told by Jesus were meant to give us life. His stories were called parables. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. I can't really see you much right now, but that's okay. Um, glad you guys are here today. For those of you who are joining us online, thanks for um, watching us as well. You know, it is incredible the number of new folks that we've had in our services over the last couple of weeks. And so, I mean, it's just been like so much so that it's been hard to keep up with everybody. Um, but if you are a guest with us today, thanks so much uh, for being here. I hope that you enjoy your time with us today, or for those of you that are watching online for the very first time, um, hope that you enjoy the service. Now, if you are a guest with us today, um, we invite you to text the word WELCOME to 817-755-1668, and that way we can just find out who you are and how we could potentially serve you and your family. We just want to start that connection process. Kelly and John Howard, you guys come on over. Don't hang out in the shadows. Um, this is the second week of our kind of Say Yes campaign where we're asking people to um, step up and say yes specifically to serving in the lives of kids and students as a part of our church. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about this thing that we refer to as the Effie Center, which I think is something that uh, is very unique to our church. Um, and it's been going on, I was trying to remember as I was sitting there this morning, like maybe like eight or nine years now. Um, but with COVID, we skipped a year um, this last year. And so we have so many new folks. Probably many of you have no idea what the Effie Center is. And so I've got a couple of guests with me this morning uh, to come and, and share with us about what is the Effie Center and what happens there. And so Kelly Spence is our Director of Counseling and Care, who formerly was the director of the Effie Center, um, so she's got some years under her belt there, and then John Howard, who is the new Effie Center director, so he is the guy that's going to twist your arm to serve down there, and so he'll talk a little bit about that in just a second, but Kelly, I'm going to start with you. Just share with everybody, because again, we, we probably have a lot of people that have no idea what the Effie Center is. Just give an overview of what it is, what happens there, and all that. what I'm going to say. So I'm going to share the vision that is on the fewebsite.org, and then I'm going to be real and use my words and not the words that they would use. But it's to provide community support to high school students and their families to enhance their lives. So like Bill said, about eight, nine years ago, I, there was some community people and some educators at Boswell that were concerned about all the students hanging out after school. Um, unattended, waiting for parents to pick up, working parents, um, and so just maybe possibly getting into some trouble. So I think they had a genius idea that said, hey, we have this great facility over here, got together with the table and 
provided a place for students from Boswell High School, 9th through 12th grade, to come after school. There are adults there, so mentoring takes place. There's snacks that are free. Everything's free over there. So um, just a fun, safe place to keep kids out of trouble. And that's originally was the heartbeat behind it. Um, and it's grown since then. There's one at Saginaw. There's one at Chisholm. There's a one in Austin. So it's not just local to Boswell High School here. Um, one of the great things about it is, is that you do develop relationships with the students that walk in um, that need some adults being positive um, into their lives. And there's a benevolence fund. I mean, I could sit for a long time and talk about all the good things that have come out of that place and this, the help that the students have received from the Effie Center, but I won't do that today. But that is originally why it was started um, and the purpose that it serves. It's a great purpose. Yeah. So, John, I mean, you're new to the Effie Center this year. Uh, I'm curious, like, when you heard about the FB Center, heard about the program, like, why were you so excited to, to jump on board and, and lead the charge? Just to make sure that this, okay. Um, yeah, so I could go on and talk a lot also, but I'll keep it brief for you. A um, couple things. Simply put, you know, like, I can relate to some of the kids, different things that I went through growing up, different things that I experienced, you know, um, I feel that I have, you know, a little bit of a different perspective and I'm able to relate to them. But I would say more importantly, and I feel like it would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention this, but I feel like I've been called by God. You know, the more that you pursue a relationship with the Lord um, and God knows our hearts, we're all called to serve and Maybe we don't know where we're supposed to serve or how exactly we're supposed to serve, but, you know, I encourage you to just dive deep into that relationship with God and pursue God, and he will reveal with clarity how you are supposed to be serving. And I'll leave it at that, but, you know, I, I believe that I've been called by God to, to be doing this. So Yeah, that's, that's really cool. So often, I think... And I mean, we just finished up Form this last week, which is our pathway to partnership in our church. And one of the things that we talk about in Formed is how our experiences so often are a part of God shaping us, which then leads us to do what it is that God wants us to do. And so I think that's, you know, part of your story too, John. So that's really cool. Okay, so Kelly, you talked a little bit about how you know, maybe there's some mentorship that takes place in the FE Center. We want to be able to pour into the lives of, of the kids that show up and stuff like that. But And this shouldn't be our motivation, but talk about, from a volunteer perspective, like what volunteers get out of the experience, too. Okay, so I'm going to wear my counselor hat for just a second, okay? There's a quote. It says, the only really happy people are those who have learned how to serve. So what we get, those of us that serve, I'm going to just share some things. You're happier, proven. You have less stress. That's also proven because our brains release hormones when we're serving the dopamine. It makes us happy. You have relief from pain. You will live longer. Your blood pressure is going to be lowered, and you're going to reduce mild depression. So how about all of those things that <laughs> happen to you when you get to serve at the Effie Center? That's great, right? Love it. So anyway, that, I mean, that, that's true. I didn't make that up. It's out there. Knowledge. Y'all can fact check me if you want to. But those are things that we get when we serve, no matter if it's at the Effie Center, no matter what role it is at the church, when we help others, there's a whole bunch of good health benefits that come from that. So on a side note, 
we are serving because of we've been asked to serve. We are serving because that's what the Lord requires of us. And then also, y'all, I tell you that the relationships that I had, have from, from students that I still talk to today from when I was at the Effie are priceless to me. And the ability to be able to speak into those students' lives, they're kids that, I don't know if you guys know this, and I don't know the exact number, but Boswell has a very high population of kids that are on free free lunches. So I think there's a misconception about the kids at Boswell. Um, there's a lot of need at that school over there. And I've seen it firsthand, and I've gotten to work with those kids firsthand, and it's a huge blessing in my life. So if you need some less stress in your life, if you need to be a little happier, if you need relief from pain and just want to live longer, then you should sign up to volunteer <laughs> at the Effie. That's good, Kelly. <laughs> So, John, as we finish up, like, um, just kind of give the particulars. Like, what is it that, you know, somebody is actually volunteering for? Because I think maybe on, on the front end, it might be a little bit scary to think, well, I have to, like, mentor high school students or something like that. So talk about the specifics of, like, volunteer hours and volunteer roles and stuff. What are, what are people actually getting themselves into? Yeah, okay, so I'm telling everybody, I'm asking everybody to just choose like one day a week. But we run Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. And really what you're going to be doing is checking students in, making sure that they're not going crazy and burning the place down. Um, we have different equipment that they use their IDs to check out. And then we clean up at the end of the day. Uh, really, you're just hanging out with the students. If they have questions for you, then you sit there and talk with them. But uh, you want to just provide some encouragement, let them know that uh, you're there for them if they need you, and, you know, really just hang back and relax. And then, you know, I guess the leaders, as you could call us, I'm not used to saying that about myself, but, um, yeah, we just kind of hang out and talk to each other. So, I mean, it's nothing scary. Uh, the students there... They're super friendly. They want to get to know everyone. So uh, they're excited to be there also. And they're excited to see your faces there who, uh, you know, you're happy to help them out. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's nothing too intense. There's not manual labor that you're doing or anything like that. You're just basically hanging out with the kids and uh, giving them a safe place to be after school. Yeah, awesome. We do have some of our students in the in the room this morning, and I will say that I think that they're not as scary as they look. So they do look scary, but maybe they're not actually that scary. So, okay. So John will be available after the service. Kelly will be too. They'll be around. Um, and then on our say yes walls, one of the QR codes back there, you can sign up. And so if you do have any questions um, or anything, or you just want to get involved. Um, volunteering at the Effie Center, let us know. Sign up and, and let us know, and John will connect with you and get you all signed up and ready to go. So thanks, guys. Pray with me, and we'll jump into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, thanks for the opportunities that you give to us on a regular basis to invest in the lives of other people. And I just I think about what an honor and a, and a privilege it is to actually be able to do that and to, to serve people in your name. And I do, Father, pray that you would continue to raise up um, volunteers and leaders and servants um, who want to say yes to what ultimately you have called us to do. 
And so, Father, even as we spend a few minutes in your word this morning, I pray that you would challenge us in that area. Um, So do a work in our hearts, move in us. Um, May you be pleased and glorified in everything that is said over the next few minutes. Help us to not be distracted by anything that's going on around us, Um, but help us to hear from you. Thanks for the work of your spirit who lives inside of us, um, who is at work changing us and molding us and shaping us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. And I pray that that would take place in our lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so are you an I can do that type of a person or an I don't think I can do that type of a person? Because they're two very different groups of people. So on one hand, when you see someone who is doing something that you've never done before, you would think to yourself, well, I can do that. And then the other side is the person who looks at, in the same situation, somebody's doing something that they've never done before, and they think to themselves, well, I don't think I can do that. So I I grew up playing sports. Those of you that know me know that. I talk about sports all the time. I love watching sports. And I will say I know that there are professional athletes that do things on the field or in competition, they make really hard things look really easy. And so from my own experience, there are times that I look at what somebody does and I think to myself, there's no way that I could ever do that. That's really, really special. But yet at the same time, there are certain things that I'll see and I'll be like, eh, I don't know, like I could do that. Our family, we watch the Olympics every time that they're on, both summer and winter. And one of the things that's really interesting about our conversations as we watch the Olympics is that inevitably they kind of lead into this discussion of whether or not we could, uh, given the opportunity, compete in that sport or that event that we're watching. And again, I recognize my own limitations. I know that there are certain things that I cannot do regardless of how hard I try. So I know no matter how much I wanted to do this or how much I worked at it, I would never be able to be a 100-meter sprinter. Like, never going to do that. But then we'll watch rowing, and I'll think to myself, I didn't look that hard. I bet I could do that. Or like with the Winter Olympics. There's nothing in me that wants to be a downhill skier. Like, that just seems like it's a little bit crazy living on the edge like that. But then I'll watch, like, Skeleton, and it reminds me a lot of the sled riding that I did as a kid growing up. And I think, man, like, I could do that. Maybe sports isn't your thing, but maybe you've had the same experience, like, with art. So this summer, my son Nathan was playing in a baseball tournament in Colorado. And so we went up there as a family, and it was really close to Vail. And so on one of the days that he didn't have a, a game, we went to Vail. And so in Vail, it's just all kinds of shops and things like that. And amongst the shops are art galleries. And so at first, as we're walking along, I'm just looking inside the windows of these different art galleries. And then I decide at some point, because I see price tags hanging on them that I can't see from the outside, I was like, I'm going to go in and see what these things are. And so when I saw the abstract modern art and the price tags on them, I thought to myself, not just, I think I could do that, but like maybe I should do that if you can actually make that much money on something that looks like not much. But then the stuff that is supposed to look like something, I thought to myself, I can't do that. So are you a, an I can do that type of a person or a, I don't think I can do that type of a person? See, when it comes to church, My observation is that church is filled with a lot of, I don't think I can do that people. 
So when you see somebody serving, ministering, maybe you're even invited into that at some point, you think to yourself, I don't think I can do that. I'll just watch. And so lots of people just kind of sit on the sidelines. And so like last week, as we started our Say Yes campaign, and we're inviting people to serve and kids and students, and then with the Effie, I don't know how you heard that. I know we had several people sign up last week, which is incredible, but my guess is that there are some who are even here today who, when we laid that out last week, thought to yourself, I don't think I can do that. I'll just sit and watch. And the interesting thing is that I don't want you to think that it's just about serving in church and volunteering in church or serving in a ministry in church. Sometimes it's bigger than that. It's broader than that. It's just really kind of leads into living a life of faith in general where like what happens on Sunday doesn't necessarily translate into Monday through Saturday. So you begin to hear, okay, this is what God wants me to do. This is how God wants me to live my life. And you think to yourself, well, I can't do that. And so you just kind of are left sitting on the sideline, just watching people do the Christian faith around you. And there are all kinds of reasons that somebody might end up with that mindset. But I think at its core, it goes back to fear. I think about in my own life the the things that I have, because I think naturally I'm more of a I can't do that kind of person, I think, generally. And so I think to myself, okay, well, why when I've seen somebody do something am I not apt to go try that thing? I think it goes back to fear. Fear of failure. Fear of not being good or good enough. Maybe fear of looking foolish in front of other people. There are all kinds of, like, these fears that we have. And sometimes I even think to myself, man, like, if I had a real reason, maybe I would actually try that thing and overcome the fears that keep me from trying it. And so if that's where you're at today, as it comes into living out your faith, volunteering and serving in ministry, here's what I want you to know. You don't actually have anything to be afraid of. And if what you need is a reason to overcome the natural fears that you have, hopefully you'll hear some of that in the message this morning. Because here's the bottom line. Watching is not an option because we have work to do now. We are finishing this morning our series called Simply Profound where we've been looking at some of the parables that Jesus taught over the last several weeks together And so we're finishing this morning with what is referred to as the parable of the minas. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to that passage. It's Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. Luke 19, 11 through 27. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, it'll be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Or if you have your smartphone, you can navigate your way to our live event on the YouVersion Bible app and follow along there. There are some great questions Um, For further reflection, and some of our groups use those questions from time to time, lots of helpful stuff there, so be sure to take advantage of that resource as well. Let me read for us Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. It's the parable of the ten minas. As they were listening to this, he went, this is Jesus, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, A nobleman traveled to a faraway country to receive for himself the authority to be king and then to return. He called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas, 
and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants and he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. And the first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. And so he said to him, you will be over five towns. Another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in, in a cloth because I was afraid of you. Since you are a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has will be given more, and from the one who does not have even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. I think this parable is absolutely fascinating. It's fascinating in the sense that it's deeply rooted in the, the, the culture and the political situation of the day. It is also fascinating because it is Jesus talking about what was getting ready to happen in his life. And so I want to make sure that we all get the details of what's taking place in this parable that Jesus told. The point being, we have a job to do. We don't have time to waste. So at the very beginning, we find that this nobleman needed to go to a faraway country to receive the ability to be king, to receive the authority to be king. Now, that might sound strange on the front end, because like, why would somebody need to go to another country to become king? And this is a part that's rooted in the political situation of the day, not in fantasy at all, because at the time, Israel was a part of the Roman Empire. So Rome was a really large empire, and throughout the empire, they would appoint different leaders to govern different regions. And those leaders could have all kinds of different titles. They could be called governor, they could be called prefect, and if somebody wanted to, they could actually appeal to Rome, to Caesar, to receive the title as king. So like when Jesus was born, the wise men, they went to visit King Herod, uh, to find out about the star of Bethlehem. He wasn't a king in the normal sense that we would think about king, a king over an independent kingdom. He was the king over a region, but appointed that by Rome. He had appealed to Rome to receive that title, and so he was able to be called king. And so as Jesus is telling this story about a nobleman who has to go somewhere, well, everybody who heard the story would have thought, oh, I know exactly what that's about. He's going to Rome or maybe in some sense hypothetical Rome, and he's going to be gone a while to receive the authority to be king, and then he's going to come back. And so it says before this nobleman left, he gathered his servants together and gave each of them a mina. A mina is an amount of money roughly equivalent to about three months' worth of wages today. So not a, an exorbitant amount of money, but yet a significant amount of money at the same time. So he gave, gives ten servants each of them one mina apiece, and he gives the very explicit instructions to engage in business 
until he comes back. So there's just so much that's happening here, and I'll tell you, here's where I think this is really, real, this is where it really gets interesting for me, as a, like I'm a Bible nerd, so this is where it gets really interesting, because here's what's happening. This is the last parable that Jesus tells that's listed for us in Luke's gospel. In fact, this is the last thing that we read before the Passion Week begins, before the week that Jesus is ultimately led to the cross begins. And so what Jesus is talking about, this story that he's telling, is not just some hypothetical thing, but it's something that's getting ready to happen in Jesus' life. He is saying to his disciples, hey, I'm getting ready to go. At some point, I'm going to come back to take my rightful place as king. And while I'm gone, you have a job to do. Engage in business. And so that's why I understand from this parable, the point of the story that Jesus is telling is watching is not an option because we have something to do. We have a job to do, and our job as followers of Jesus is to make disciples. And this is not a job that's for the church. It's not a job that's just for pastors or professionals. All of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, this is our mission. After the resurrection, Jesus told the disciples to meet him on a mountain. And it was there that he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. So Jesus was telling his disciples what they were called to do. And this wasn't something that was brand new to them. This was really more a culmination of all that Jesus had been teaching and training them to do throughout the three years that they were together. And so now it was like, hey, guys, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go out into the world, point people back to me so they come to faith in me, and then help them to understand what life in Jesus is all about. And again, because that commission, that mission was given to his disciples, it is then passed to all of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus. So it's not just something for the church to do. It's really easy to begin to think that way, to think, well, somebody else will do it when I see the church as an organization or a place that I go on Sunday mornings. But we talk all the time, like informed in different classes, how the church is people. It's not a place. So it's for us. And it's not just for the professionals. It's easy to think, well, somebody else will do it, or I can't do that if it's for the professionals, but it's not just for the professionals to do. It's for all of us. We all have a job to do, and that is to point people back to Jesus so that they come to faith in Jesus and then help them to understand what life in Jesus is all about. And so our responsibility is to be faithful, to use what has been entrusted to us to the very best of our ability. Go back to the parable. Jesus gave each of the servants one mina each. And he said to them, do business until I come back. We've got to understand all of us have been given so much. We've been given gifts and abilities and talents and all that we have, we are to use to point people back to Jesus and to help them to understand what life in Jesus is all about. I want you to know, that God has created you to be exactly who he wants you to be. And so your personality, your gifts, your talents, all that he's given to you, he wants you to use and invest in the lives of other people to lead them to faith in Jesus and to help them to understand what life in Jesus is all about. That's the mission to make disciples. We've all been given so much. 
And we don't have time to waste. There have been a couple of instances over the, the last few months where I've realized the brevity of life. Actually, once not too long ago, a few weeks ago, I was looking at uh, some pictures from our vacation this summer. And as I flipped through these pictures, I thought to myself, who is that old guy in those pictures with all that gray hair? Because that is not me. But it was me. Right? Like this, life is short. We don't have time to waste. We can't think, well, one day I'll get to it, or maybe someday I'll do that. We have a job to do right now, and we don't have time to waste. Watching is not an option. Now, based on what Jesus says in the passage, I do think we also ought to see a connection with how we use our financial resources. So how are you using the resources, the financial resources that God has entrusted to you to make disciples? Sometimes in our services, I say this, and so I'm going to repeat it again if you've heard me, forgive me for that. But we absolutely, the only reason that we can do what we do is because of the generosity of people in our church. The the gifts that you give, that's the only source of income that we have. And so that's why we talk about giving in our services every single week, um, because the more that you give, the more ministry that we're able to do. Now, for those of you that give, you're going to receive a letter from me probably within the next couple of weeks uh, to let you know where we are financially, uh, to remind you where you're at in terms of your giving, if you want to you know, just think about end of year stuff and all of that. We do that quarterly. So every quarter we send out a letter financial update for those of you that give. I'm going to let you know something that we do that I think is different than some churches. Not every church does this. Some churches do, and this is not meant to uh, disparage other churches that may do this. But other churches sometimes will create a financial crisis. And how they do that is they actually function according to two different budgets. So they have like a, a ideal budget, like, man, if money were not an option, here's all the things that we would do and all, and all of that. And so uh, then they have like their functional budget. And so at this time of year, maybe towards the end of the year, they would say, hey, we're really far behind. Would you help us to end the year well? But the reality is they're not as far behind income versus expenses as it is sort of this ideal budget versus this functional budget. We don't do that. We have one budget We do everything that we can to stay within that budget. We stretch every dollar as far as it goes um, because we want to be good stewards of what you all entrust to us too from a leadership perspective and a staff perspective. And so uh, we want to do that. We want to be good stewards just like we're asking you to be good stewards. Yet at the same time, so here's what you're going to find in the next couple of weeks as I send out this letter, that we're doing okay. We're basically even for the year, income and expenses. But I want you to know, The more that you give, the more generous that you are as God leads you to be generous, the more ministry that we're able to do. And what opportunities God has given to us. I mean, just look across the street when you walk out of the parking lot. So many people moving into our community and we have the opportunity to minister to them, to point them back to Jesus, and to be disciple makers here in our community. So I just want you to think about that. What are you doing with the resources the financial resources that you have? How are you using them to point people back to Jesus? Let's go back to the story. As Jesus tells this parable, the, 
the nobleman goes off to receive the authority to become king, and he comes back, and then he begins to make accounting with those servants. Verse 15, he summoned the servants that he had given the money to so they could find out how much they had made in business. And so the first comes back. It says, Master, here's the mina that you gave me, and here is ten more minas, which is an incredible return on investment. If all of our 401ks had that kind of return, we'd all be thinking about how soon are we going to retire, right? I mean, this is a, a significant return. To so the second servant, he, the second servant comes back and says, here's the meaning you gave me, and here's five more. Again, a very significant return. And so the king says to the first servant, because you've been faithful with what I gave you, you will be in charge of 10 towns. To the second, he said, you will be in charge of five towns. Now, I want to tell you something that I think is probably different potentially different than anything you've ever heard in church before. I know that this is very different than messages that I have gotten from church growing up in church. Because so often the message in church is something like this as it relates to the gospel. Do you know, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Or do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And so just inherently in that messaging, what we're telling people, maybe we don't mean this, but what we're telling people is this life doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is where you spend eternity. I want you to know what we do here matters. Because I think this part of the parable helps us to understand that what we do here is an audition for what we will do there. So think about this. If Jesus is saying, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. While I'm gone, you as my disciples have something to do. Then when he comes back, he says, because you've been faithful while I was gone, here is what you will do in the kingdom. And so that's why I say I think that there's something to be said about what we do here is an audition for what we do there. Most of the time we think about heaven, it's like kind of floating around on clouds, maybe attending worship services sometimes, and I don't know, maybe we'll do that. But yet at the same time, I also think that we will have jobs to do, or at the very least responsibilities to carry out. And exactly what those are, exactly what they'll be, I'm not really sure. I don't think scripture is super clear on that. Certainly this parable is not super clear on that, and so it's probably best not to speculate too much But yet at the same time, based on this story of Jesus alone, I say, wait wait a minute, what we do now matters. Somehow it is connected to roles and responsibilities that we will have when Jesus establishes his kingdom once and for all. Now how paradise can be slightly more paradise or slightly less paradise, I'm not really sure how that works itself out. But yet at the same time, I recognize that what we do here, there is a sense in which it is an audition for what we will be doing in eternity. And so what we do now matters. We can't just sit back and watch. There are three reported responses when the king comes back in the parable. The first one, here's the meaning you gave me, and here's the ten minas back. And he says, well done, you're a faithful servant. The same thing with the five minas. And then the third one says, here's the mina you gave me, This is verse 20, I've kept it safe in cloth because I was afraid of you since you were a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. And what becomes very clear is that he didn't actually know the king. So we recognize 
This parable of Jesus helps us to understand that we have a job to do. Our job is to make disciples. Our responsibility is to faithfully use what has been given to us. We don't have time to waste. And in some sense, what we do now is an audition for what is to come. And so here's the motivation, though. The motivation is in our knowledge of the character of the king. Because we've got to be careful. When we read this part about faithfulness with what we have now leads to greater responsibility later, it's easy to think, well, okay, that's what I'm going to be motivated by. I'm going I'm to do good now so that I get a better job then. But I don't think that's to be our motivation. See, interesting in the parable, the king didn't say, hey, here's what I want you to do, engage in business, and if you do really well when I come back, I'll give you more responsibilities. He didn't do that. He just said, do business while I'm gone. And the reason that the first two servants did what they did is because they knew the king. The third servant clearly didn't understand who the king truly was. See, what motivates us in our service It's not what we'll get out of it, but it's knowing the character of Jesus. Recognizing that before coming to faith in Jesus, we were lost in our sin, lost and without hope, and there was nothing that we could ever do to earn a relationship with God. But the graciousness of God, the goodness of God, extended to those of us who deserve the exact opposite of that, rescued us from our sin. We only have a relationship with God because of his love and grace. And we recognize at the same time that though we fall short of God's expectation for us on a regular basis, that God continues to extend his love and his grace to us so that we are transformed from the inside out and become more and more like Jesus through the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. That's what motivates us to serve. And we recognize at the same time that on our own, we could never be successful at doing what God has called us to do. It is the grace of God at work through us that allows us to do anything. It is knowing that character of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God that he continues to pour out on us day after day after day that motivates us to say, man, in light of all that you've done for me, what can I do for you? And as Paul said in Romans 12, 1, the only thing that makes sense is to offer everything that we have as a living sacrifice. See, that's why watching is not an option. I mean, you can be a, I don't think I can do that person, or maybe you are an I can do that person, regardless of what your natural personality is. At some point, we have to overcome the fears that we have and jump in and say yes and begin to serve the king. Because this is what we've been called to do. And so as we finish up this morning, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about how God could use you, the gifts and abilities that he's given to you, your personality, here in our church. Where can you serve? How can you make a difference in the lives of other people as you are about the process of making disciples? And then the second thing I'd really challenge you with, too, is how to connect Sunday to Monday through Saturday. Who's that person that God has placed in your life that you work with or maybe that you go to school with that God could use you to point to Jesus? And maybe through what God does in your life, that person could come to faith in Jesus. Or you could be a significant part of the process of helping that person understand what life with Jesus is all about. Because here's the bottom line. Watching is not an option because we all have a job to do right now. Will you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, as we finish this morning, I, I do pray that you would just continue to open our eyes and our hearts to the reality of what you've called us into. And God, we recognize that we couldn't be successful at this disciple-making process where we point people back to you to see them come to faith and help them to understand what life in Jesus is all about. We can't do that on our own, but we need you to be at work through us. And yet we also recognize that you have entrusted us with this responsibility. So Father, I pray that you would help us to overcome the fears, to step in, to say yes, to begin to serve, to begin to pour ourselves into the lives of others around us. Father, I pray that those of us who are followers of Jesus, you would use us to grow your kingdom. And if anyone's here this morning who hasn't yet taken that step across the line of faith to say yes, I pray that you would continue to reveal your love and your grace to them. Because we don't earn a relationship with you. It's freely given. And it's provided to us through the cross of Jesus. And that's why we can be forgiven. Thanks for a life of meaning and purpose and hope. Help us to follow hard after you in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.